Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. Well, we are at a point now where we um, we finished with um, free will. And we found out that it's not free will that chooses God or makes a decision for Christ, does it? Um, we see that man is in need of God to regenerate him. And it's God's will that does that. And so now we embark on a an area that follows suit with where we've been at. If you're talking about it's not the free will of man that chooses God, then we need something to regenerate us. Something has to happen from outside of us. And this is where we go into the chapter called Effectual Calling. And also what we have on the agenda is uh, chapter 11, which would be justification, and then adoption. Um, Three big major articles there, and... uh, We begin the history of redemption at chapter 10. There are different ways to look at the same thing when when we're talking about salvation here and what happens to people. This is actually where it's applied to us. Um, And so when you speak about effectual calling, it's like when God starts out to save someone, there's no possible way that He will fail to do so. He will... The ones he effectually calls, they will answer because he effectually calls them. What God is going to do, he will accomplish. And uh, so that's, that's at the heart of the matter. So we see that uh, all the way through, it has been uh, a thing initiated by God. And uh, so we'll be dealing with, again, uh, the readings of uh, these articles and uh, then see the scripture that backs it up. And uh, hopefully we'll, we can go through uh, about three of these. There are several of these chapters that follow suit, and they're really almost different, saying the same thing, only different ways to look at it. Um, so anyway, why don't we start off with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your absolute glory that is on display constantly and we see your glory through your word and we see because of the Holy Spirit who takes your inspired word and gives it to us that we can understand your truth, precious truth, eternal truth. And as we uh, look at these particular doctrines tonight, they are near and dear to us. They are doctrines that we've held for uh, quite some time, and we realize that it is all God, it is all you, Lord, that is in charge of everything, and especially salvation. And so we look at that and realize that we need your guidance, your direction tonight, Uh, put it into our hearts to learn a little bit more about how great you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, we have uh, chapter 10 here, dealing with the uh, effectual calling. Thanks for uh, setting that up there, Nick and Non, Alan, getting the audio going. We have a lot of things going on up here. <laughs> it, it almost looks like I'm, I need a booth. <laughs> it looks like a booth, sound recording or something. 
Anyway, all those whom God hath predestinated unto life and those only, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills and by his almighty power determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely, being made willingly by his grace. Now you could almost say that sounds contradictory. And as we looked at free will, we see that God never forces us. He never does a robot thing on us. He doesn't do a puppet thing on us. And yet it's God doing the controlling, but yet we see that um, man here, in this sense, he's effectually called. He's made willing, but he comes most freely. And um, even though it seems contradictory, we see that man is not compelled. And that's what the Westminster Confession was saying, and we looked at the scripture about um, that thought. That's what we looked at last week. Man is not forced, he's not uh, compelled, but he's made willing. He's made willing by God's grace. The, the confession here uh, does not explain that. We would like further explanation, but it's not there. Uh, made willing is not forced. Uh, one way that we can think of this, though, is w- when we see ourselves as being in darkness, we look at the way we once were, and when the light of God came to us, we were not repelled by it. All of a sudden, it was like we were attracted to it. He opens the door, the light comes there, and it's, it's so brilliant that we can't help but be drawn to it. No longer are we going to say no because now we want to. He's not going to force us. Matter of fact, we are going to force ourselves into the kingdom, as Jesus said. Uh, Many will be trying to get into the kingdom. Um, The will of man is a choice of what he desires. The only thing is, is that he had no desire before. Now he has the desire. He's always inclined to whatever his inclinations or his preference is. And when God changes our minds, changes our thinking, renews our mind, now we think differently. So um, the light has now made it irresistible. The light that he gave us. So he's man is not pushed. Um, matter of fact, you can't. Um, he cannot help, but continue to go to uh, this this light that God gives us, His truth and who He is. That's the kind of light we're we're talking about there. Um, matter of fact, you can't you can't pull a person away from God uh, if they really have been attracted to God. He now wants to take take the kingdom by force, as Jesus said. Uh, he's the one who wants it now, the one who has been transferred into the kingdom of light. He wants it. He's a new creation. And now he loves the light. And before, it might have been minutes ago, he hated the light. 
Anyway, let's look at Romans 8.30 about uh, effectually calling. Romans 8.30 is uh, definitely a, a hinging point in the book of Romans. A jewel. Those whom he predestined, he also called. So for the ones that he predestined for the foundation of the world, in time and space, he called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And that's another one that we'll be looking at in a uh, little bit. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. That's an effectual calling. If he predestines, then sooner or later in their lives, in time and space, he will then call them. Uh, an actual application. Look in Romans 11, verse 7. What then? What, what Israel is seeking, it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. That's a rather difficult passage, isn't it? Right there in Romans 11, um, there are people who think they're seeking spiritual things, but uh, they don't obtain it. And then there are the chosen who do obtain it, and it's because God effectually called them. Go to Titus 2, 13 and 14, right after 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus 2, 13 and 14. No, I'll tell you what, take that back. I didn't mean Titus. Titus is a good one to go to. I mean 2nd uh, Thessalonians. Sorry about that. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, as they did from the Jews. showed uh, they, they had become Christians. But there's the Word of God was given to them, and how are they going to be able to hear without a preacher? And so they heard from us, meaning the apostles and the, the, the teachers there, and of course it came to them as the very Word of God. That was Second Thessalonians two thirteen and fourteen. So, um, a little bit of the way that that God calls. And of course, I, you have to think of John ten. You know, his uh, sheep. He knows. He knows them by name. He calls them, and that's at the very outset of salvation. And then, through the rest of our eternity, we you know, he he knows who we are. He has. He calls us and. We, uh, we answer Him. Anyway, that's uh, the first part of effectual calling. It's de dealing with uh, being made willing by His grace. It was His grace that made us willing, wasn't it? He enlightens our mind spiritually. We understand the things of God. We ever want more of it. We, we can't have enough, can we? Alan. And this comes out to regeneration. It's and by the way, if you look in the in the confession there, if you look at uh, well, like tonight, effectual calling, justification, um, 
uh, adoption. Um, all these terms are dealing with regeneration. Mm -hmm. And, of course, um, I was listening to, well, Gerstner, I think I was listening to somebody else, too, on this. And they said that it's, it's not really, in this case here, they are not setting up an ordo salutis, which is the order of salvation, but there's a regeneration in us, and all of these things, they, they happen. Who, who knows how and uh, the exact order, but he has to regenerate us first before we would ever be willing or to respond or to have faith or to, to repent. And there's that regeneration. And it's like that. It, it's like that's what starts everything else. But how you divide that up in time? It's <laughs> it's all happening at the same time. But he has to, yeah, to kickstart us, that to start us, the, to regenerate us. Right. Yeah, right. That was the trick question he said he was asked in seminary. Oh really? Was what came first, faith or regeneration? And he said <laughs> half the class raised their hand and said faith, and the other half raised it and said. Um, Sometimes I think humanly, you know, we try to put things together. Of course, from God, you know, it's uh, how can you explain how how He's doing it? But I think it makes sense that there is there's something that the reason that we can repent, or the reason we can have faith, or the reason we are justified, is the fact that He had to make us willing or John 3 give life to us new birth and there's yeah. where the new the regeneration would be that, that probably means that how the class had a really good yeah <laughs> alright let's go to the second one then um, short little paragraph this effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man who is altogether passive therein until being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit, he is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. Man is passive. That's one of the words that's used there. As he is made a new creation, as he's being made willing, man is passive here. He's quickened. He's renewed. He's enabled to answer the call. Um, John 3, again, uh, you must be born again, right? As Jesus speaks to Nicodemus. Uh, passive, just like the first birth was. We didn't have anything to do with the first birth, did we? But it's interesting how many people want to have something to do with the second birth. And if we didn't have anything to do with the first birth, the second birth we don't either because we are dead spiritually. How can we do anything? Nicodemus got the message, although he had, a, I think, a little confusion there on physical and spiritual, but I think he got the idea of passivity. You know, he was passive. He understood that how can, how can this man be born again, you know, and he's thinking the physical, spiritual. Uh, this is the, uh, the experience that happened to you. It's not something with you, but it's something that happened to you. 
as you are passive. No amount of wooing, uh, convincing, persuading by the preacher, which that's what we're to do. We are to preach uh, the Word of God. The Word of God is to come to them. How else are they going to be able to hear without a preacher, right? Be able to tell them what that means. Um, but no amount of that from the preacher could change one because they are a corpse and there has to be, they cannot respond unless God comes and does this with His free and special grace and quickens them, regenerates them, uh, brings them life. A corpse does not cooperate with um, anything pertaining to life. It's dead. It cannot. It cannot uh, go to and cooperate with, uh, with anything dealing with life. Um, so anyway, uh, dead to virtue, right? Dead to anything virtuous. Uh, if he's made alive by virtue, then something is going to have to happen to him. And of course, it's almost like every week we have to keep thinking about the dead man, spiritually, the, the corpse. It's as passive as a corpse would be. That's the, um, that's the thought here. When a person, though, is called, he is saved. He's enabled now to answer the call. Go to 2 Timothy 1.9. Speaking about the gospel and the power of God in verse 9 or 8. And then he says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, a set-apart calling, to uh, not according to our works. Of course, he's this confession is getting into that quite a bit. Uh, but according to his own purpose. Boy, does that ever take man out of it, doesn't it? It's His own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So it goes back to all eternity before that. And then we also see that He saves and calls us in time. That calling is a holy calling. It comes from God. He will never fail in anything. It doesn't fail in the calling. Um, he initiates it. Always initiates things, doesn't He? Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So man is passive. So that's what the confession here is... Um, emphasizing so much. I get into one that would be controversial in some areas today. Uh, elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by, uh, saved by Christ through the Spirit who worketh when and where and how he pleaseth. So also are all other elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the word. Now the first calling, there, there's a there's a first calling which is the outward call. That call is to everybody. God calls people, but not all of them respond. 
because not all of them are elect, right? The first calling is a hearing with the ear. It's, it's the external call. Man doesn't like that call. He's not wooed by the external calling. It has to be an internal call. Um, trained to be able to, to hear this, to hear the, the inward call. And it's only God who can have one be able to respond to that. A shepherd calls the sheep by name. Whenever I hear, and I'll get into the, uh, the elect infants here in a moment, whenever I hear the call and realize I'm a sinner, let's say, okay, I, I have not trusted in Christ. I'm an unbeliever. When I or you or anybody else, when they hear this call, this inward call, what it is they now realize they are true sinners against a holy God. Um, I realize that uh, it is directed to me. This calling is coming to me from God. We've all, if you're Christians, right? We've heard that. We've even felt it. It's been a part of us in, in a sense. It's, a, it's an experience that actually happens. Um, Jesus didn't come to call the righteous. He came to call the what? The sinners. He said, yeah, what about those people? They, they say they believe in Christ and they go to church and they go through all the, the motions and they, they do everything that seems like what uh, church is about. So you can say, how, how can they not hear inwardly? Well, they're, they're hearing outwardly. And you say, well, how, how can they not like what God's call is? Well, he came to call not the self-righteous. That was the problem whenever you had, uh, at the temple, you had um, one man thinking, like the Pharisee, thanking God that he wasn't like the other man over there. The other man is beating his chest and saying, you know, that he was a sinner. And he knew he didn't deserve anything from God. Um, but that man went a home declared righteous, justified. And he realized that he was a real sinner. He heard the inner call, didn't he? So what is it about this inner call? Well, there are going to be some who really can't understand the Word of God. Uh, some of them are going to be like, for instance, to start with infants. What about the infants who can't hear? Uh, they can't hear a meaningful external call. It, it starts with the external call and goes inwardly. It wouldn't matter how much you spoke to them, they can't understand. What about that infant? And then it also extends to not only infants, but all the ones who cannot... They're outside the range of hearing, of being able to understand. They're incapable of being outwardly called. So it takes in all people that you can say, well, then how can they ever respond if they can't understand? And there's where the inner inward call comes. And uh, you can say, well, what about these infants? Well, the Westminster Confession says here, really, the elect infants. Some are elect. Now, the Westminster Confession doesn't explain this, doesn't go into any detail. This is one sentence and boom, you move on. And it does create all sorts of controversy, but um, it doesn't say that it's all of the infants or only one or two 
It doesn't say that. It doesn't, doesn't give any definition of what it what we would like to, to know. I think they're very careful in that statement, and I'm sure that they probably spent some time on this as the divines got together. Um, they knew they had to be careful that what they are saying is true, though. Uh, and, of course, all of us are going to say, well, what, who are they? Well, what are we talking about? Um, and we know there are beings who are elect who do not understand the gospel. Uh, there's an effectual calling without the word of God. That's unusual because that's the means that God uses almost all the time. Usually, right? God uses the word of God and he uses somebody to preach it. Somebody could actually read it and, and get it too. But, um, more often than not, it's somebody that's going to, to uh, give a witness of, of Christ and, and their need and their, their sin state that they're in. Um, this is an effectual calling that the Holy Spirit is the one who's used here. The, the Word and the Spirit go together, don't they? And probably that's how all of us were, were called. But um, going into the, the elect infants, uh, in all fairness, most Presbyterian churches of our day would believe, and I say this all, and I can't always say this every one of them, but most of them would believe that all dying infants are elect. The reason I said Presbyterians is because if you look at Westminster Confession, uh, they're the ones who are going to use this most often although it's also going to appear in the Baptist Confession and such too. I think that they withhold the word. They changed, took out the word elect, and it talks about infants. And there are many people who believe that the infants, all infants who die, will uh, be saved by God's grace of this inward call. And I'll go historically a little bit about this. Um, Calvin believed that. Um, Charles Hodge, you advance up to the 1800s, said all infants who die are elect. B.B. Uh, Warfield said all infants who die are elect. Dabney said all infants um, say that. But they are also um, honest in saying, but the divines don't say anything specific there. kind of leaves you hanging. But no doubt, if you're talking about elect, anyone who is elect is going to be brought through and some elect people are not going to be able to understand the word whether they're uh, infants or adults uh, and if you can look if you look throughout and it's divided in reformed theology it's divided in that even people outside of reformed theology that are not into that particular theology would be divided on it too that's why I say it can, it can be controversial but uh, a big percentage of Reformed theologians believe that uh, uh, infants who die uh, will are the elect. Uh, God will save them all. And he said, well, how can he do that? Well, he's going to save them by grace. It's simply by grace. It's a, we're saved by grace. And uh, even though they didn't get the opportunity to respond to the Word of God, um, that is would be the, the sense of it. If you look in John 3, again, we, we talk about the new birth here. I mentioned this a couple of times tonight. Mm-hmm. 
Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Of course, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's, when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So God can do however He wants, whenever He wants, in any kind of manner, but... We see it's like you see the effects of, of uh, what the wind does, and he says here, this is what uh, God God does, and so it's by His grace and His own picking and choosing, He would never be wrong in anything that He does. But I like the thought that all infants are elect, and I'm going. I have really good company to go with, and uh, if if that not be the case, then God is going to do whatever He wants in that sense. But uh, again, it's going to come back to that word grace. How can God do that? Well, it's, it's always by grace. Yeah. Well, I think of King David. Uh, his, uh, I don't know how old that child was that was born to him and Bathsheba, um, but it died very young. Right. King David made the statement that uh, the, the baby will not come to him again, but he will hold the baby knowing that. So, and there's no, you know, I don't remember which song that's in. But, um. And then uh, Jesus talked about the. Well, it's not in the song. It's in. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a very appropriate passage to deal so, with. I mean, that, yeah. I very effective. Other places mm-hmm. talked about small children. There's not a whole lot. Um, but I mean that. And that's always a, a good one to hang on to. Uh, I know I did a, a funeral for, um, so I guess you could say a stillborn, or, um, but they wanted to have a funeral because they wanted to make a statement that, that there still was life there while uh, in the womb up to a certain point. And, uh, of course, it bothered uh, several people that she, she worked with. For, she only carried it for eight months. And, of course, we went through Scripture and, you know, as much as what we could look at here and uh, realize that, uh, you know, God is a very gracious God. And I was very confident in the fact of uh, doing that that funeral um, that I could could say and and not feel, I'm not sure about this. I mean, I, I really was convinced that that baby was going to be in, in heaven. the book of Jeremiah says, I knew you before you, before you were even born. I knew you when you were developing in the womb. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a interesting subject. But like I say, it's uh, definitely uh, been dealt with by many people. I, I think of, uh, I think John Owen and 
many of my favorite theologians uh, believe that. So, but just because they believe it doesn't make it true. But we look at the the scriptures that we have and and that thought. Of, you know, it's even though it's if it's not made clear in scripture, you know, God will do what is right and good and holy and loving, whatever that is. That's what He will do. And we can be subtle with that, can't and we? Any, anything at all that we don't see on this side, we will know. And we will be able to see. There was never anything but good and loving acts on this. Everything that he will do is always good. It's always good. If we have that theology in our mind, we can make it right up to the, through the point of death. On that note, Jonah... For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my <laughs> life from point. me, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's a good... God good. said, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left? So God will do exactly he knew he was that kind of God. <laughs> he knew that he would save the Ninevites. <laughs> he didn't want that to happen. Yeah. It's been said that the 120,000 persons who can't discern between the right hand and the left are either special needs like handicapped folks or even children. So. Good thought there. Okay, we went through a controversial one, now we'll move on. <laughs> Others not elected, now we're talking about the elect, elect infants and left, uh, even the adults. Others not elected, although they may be called by the ministry of the Word and may have some common operations of the Spirit, yet they never truly come to Christ and therefore cannot be saved. Much less can men, not professing the Christian religion, be saved in any other way whatsoever, but they never so diligent to frame their lives according to the light of nature and the law of that religion they do profess. And to assert and maintain that they may is very pernicious and to be detested. What it's saying there is no one can be ex saved except through Christ. It's only one way. It's so easy. John fourteen six. I am the way, true life, truth of life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Any other way is to be detested, it's saying here. Very vociferously, the confession is saying that um, it's only through Christ. And you had Mother Teresa saying uh, there to the people in Calcutta that the, the Hindus who never converted to Christ, anybody that remained Hindu... Um, they too were on the right road. All other religions were on the right road. And that's to totally deny what Jesus said. Not just a confession here. John 14, 6. What's, what's Acts 4, 12 say? Remember that one? Somebody pick that one out real quick. <laughs> Again, it's, it's saying that there, there is no warrant to tell anybody anything differently than you have to be trusting in Christ. We can't ever give on that at all. 
What's our Acts 4.12? Um, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. How clear can that be? Yeah. No one else. No other name. Right? And so that's what it's saying here. The, the ones, uh, it says, there are other people who that are not elect. It's not talking about the infants or the, the adults who can't, are not capable. Uh, he's just saying there are people that are not elect. They can be called by the Word of God. And they can have operations of the Spirit, I think, of Hebrews chapter 6, where they're rounded. Um, the gifts of the Spirit, I mean, things that... Um, Turn there for a moment. They're around the Word of God. They, they see the answer of, of prayer, uh, everything that's operating that, as it should. And these people are enlightened. They taste it. They're partakers, but yet they're not true Christians. So they can even go up to that point of being around the church, being blessed by other Christians, being prayed for. They're in an environment where they're protected. And so it says in Hebrews 6, 3, uh, 4, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened, we're not talking the salvation here, enlightening, but they've seen some truths. Uh, they've tasted of the heavenly gift. We're not talking about eating it, but partaking in the sense of tasting it, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Here it says have some common operations of the Spirit where the Spirit of God is working in the body of Christ and have tasted the good Word of God. They didn't need it. They tasted it. And the power of the age to come, how God was working in that. And then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. There is talking about people who really look like they're part of the church, uh, these Jewish people who had been part of the fellowship, but they had never come all the way over. And all of Hebrews is about that all the way through. And, of course, he will show the difference between that kind of person and what a Christian is. Uh, by, by the time you get to the end of chapter 6, there are two different people. And, and these people are the ones that are the they. They're not the us. They're the they. The those. And uh, so, they actually have the Spirit of God around them. But they never really come to Christ. They can't be saved. There's only one way. It's through Christ. It's not through any of their religious works that they, they were doing. Exactly. And that's where perseverance comes in, doesn't it? And that's, uh, of course, one of the five points. And, and one will show that they persevere or as God preserves them. I'm talking about that. Preservation is probably even a better term there. God is the one that will keep it. We can't keep ourselves saved anyway. We, we, we would fall in a moment if it was left up to God says, okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a few minutes here. And we, we would fall. Always kept by Him. Well, that, uh, that's it for that particular juncture there. That um, is called the effectual calling. I'm glad His call is uh, something that's real.
It's true. It happens. Kind of interesting. Uh, this next one is justification. And really, it's kind of interesting in the sense that in just a few words, you get what the Reformation was about. Just in a few little words. John Calvin said it's the hinge of which the Reformation uh, rests upon or, or turns upon. That's, I guess a door turns, right? It's the hinge. Luther said it's the doctrine by which the church stands or falls. That's how important the doctrine of justification is. And of course, we've we've spent so much time on justification down through the years, you can't spend enough time on it, but it seems like I'm breezing by these awfully quick. But it's something that, you know, it's it's at the heart of what we believe. And you can see why all these issues come up. And this is going, this is written so much because it is the Reformation. It's and it is going against the grain of the Roman Catholic Church and the Council of Trent, which was really the kind of uh, the their own Reformation. It was called the Counter Reformation that the Roman Catholics had. They recognized what the heart of this issue was about. It was justification by faith uh, alone. This was the whole Reformation debate right here, what it, it really hinges upon. And I, I've always said that um, there are two words that really boil down in this justification. It is, they say, infusion. The Catholic Church says, the Reformers say, no, it's not an infusion. It is what? an imputation. We are imputed the righteousness of God because we have nothing of ourselves. So, as we read this, we see right here in this one long sentence the heart of the Reformation, the heart of salvation. Those whom God effectually calleth right where we've been. He also freely justifieth. Notice the free will of God. (laughs) Not by infusing the righteousness into them. You notice it says a negative term here. Not infusing. Why are they saying that? Because that's exactly where they came out of. This is what the Catholic Church teaches. And it's not saying, oh, you shouldn't be saying some bad things about the Catholic. No, that's what they teach. That is the heart of their theology. They'll be glad to tell you if they knew that, that if they've been educated in the Catholic faith, that they are infused the righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but, I, but by imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ unto them, they receiving and resting on Him and His righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it is the gift of God. So, justification we know is a declaration. It's that we have been declared righteous. We've been given the righteousness of Christ. 
uh, all justification is by nothing else. Justified by faith alone. You say, well, it's by faith then, right? Well, we'll get into that. It's not even by faith uh, that, that saves you. But it's Christ alone, as it says here. Only, not for anything that's in us, that comes from us, but it's for Christ's sake alone. The imputation is really the obedience of Christ and the satisfaction that He gave to the Father of, of His work. It was His uh, obedience. It was uh, the very righteousness of Christ uh, that was given to us. Yeah, yeah, that's what you get into in this paragraph. Where our sins are imputed to Christ and then His righteousness is imputed to us. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had a board here, I'd just draw this out, but uh, it's like faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. Have an arrow. Justification plus works. Faith in Christ. That's going to lead to justification and the works that follow. Uh, This absolutely denies the Roman Catholic view, uh, which is faith plus works leads to justification. Do the Roman Catholics deny justification? No. Here's what it takes to be justified. It's your faith and your works. Christ has done His work. But it's now your faith infused with, of course, the work of Christ. Of course, they, they never tell you how many works, so there's no assurance. Just better than the Bingo. down the road. How much does it take? Right. You keep working. Yeah. Keep coming back. Keep taking <laughs> communion. Because that communion is the Holy Spirit inside you. Our faith what this is saying here, what Scripture really comes down to, our faith is not our righteousness. And I think that's what happens in uh, a Protestant deviation even uh, of our day. They think our faith that we have is, is our righteousness. And justification is not even our own faith. Even though we're justified by faith alone, we have to realize where that faith is and what it's about or it's it's not our obedience or some kind of righteousness that's infused in me it's by Christ only and faith is really just a word for our union with Christ it is the lifeline that unites us with Christ so it's the faith that he has granted to us if we believe that it's our faith that's going to save us, we are in the exact same predicament that the Roman Catholic is in. And that is what has happened in the last 150 years. And I think it's, it's always wants to go there where man gets some glory here. Make a decision for Christ. Have you heard that before? Now, it's true. We are to, to trust in Christ's place in that. But it, it's almost like it rings in the sense that if I believe, then I will be saved. And it's because of my faith 
is that I'm saying, I am good enough, I'm smart enough to be saved because I heard it and because I did that, I had uh, faith, and it was my faith that did that. As soon as there's an I in it, you're in trouble. That's right. Uh, It's union with Christ. Christ brings justification. Um, There's a uniting yourself with Him. How many times do you see it throughout the New Testament? In Christ. With Christ. Christ in you. Uh, That is that union. Uh, He's the one who produces the faith. He produces that faith. Uh, uh, There's no virtue or efficacy in our faith that we can have. That's why people can have, they can believe God and still not be Believers, Jesus saw it in the people who believed in his miracles. They believed he did that. But Jesus knew what was in their hearts. Right at the end of John 2. They actually believed God. But yet that belief, that kind of belief is not a saving. So you get into that, yeah, that double, double imputation there, Barb. And also there's an active obedience and a passive obedience of Christ. The active, we think of his righteous works that he did in his ministry. The passive, even though there's active in that too, but in the cross, um, that would be called the passive obedience. That's some of the terminology that uh, Reformed theologians use. There was, There's always been a kind of a debate on the imputation of Christ's righteousness. Um, some people would say, well, it's, it's the... Uh, it's the passive obedience of what Christ did on the cross. Uh, the act of obedience they would have a little more trouble with, but uh, actually double imputation too is the prevailing view in Reformed theology from uh, the ones who we would read and trust the most, uh, I think in, in their thoughts anyway. Um, what it means is his act of obedience or any, any part of his obedience, the, the whole... All of his merits apply. All of his merit, the Christ merits are applied to us. That is not all, that is seen in the Belgic Confession. Luther said that. John Owen said that in in their uh, works and in their writing. Um, the Roman Catholic heresy, though, is this: it's your works and your faith, and that's the basis of your salvation. That's a fatal error. And it's damning to millions and millions. Works contribute absolutely nothing. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, as the man said. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I what? Cling. And that's, that's what I say. The Protestant. Uh, I guess in uh, of our times has kind of deviated. It's almost like faith brings justification. It's the basis of justification. That is not uh, what is taught in Scripture or taught anywhere throughout the Protestant Reformation. It it uh, it would be pernicious to think of any way uh, any kind of work that would be uh, part of it. There's a, uh, and then when you think about works, 
there is a necessary works. There is a meritorious works, though, also. And you have to see the difference between the necessary works and the meritorious works. Do you understand what I'm talking about? The necessary works are the works that come after you become a Christian. The meritorious works is what you work for to get salvation. Works are absolutely indispensable. They're absolutely necessary. Um, of course, you think of Ephesians 2. Um, everybody is familiar with verse 8. You keep reading on down in verse 10. In that order that is brought forth. For we are His workmanship. By the way, I will go out on a limb and say this. We are saved by works. <laughs> did, did you catch that truth? Christ's works. Yeah. So if anybody says, hey, but you're saved by works too. Well, absolutely. Christ works. For we are His workmanship. He's continuing to do it. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. So if He effectually calls us, He's effectually going to work in us and we are going to have works. And if we don't, it shows that we are really not true believers which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Um, I've got a question. Uh, could you... I'm hearing some things that are raising red flags in my head and I don't know if that's right or not. So could you define... The faith, the faith that you're talking about that doesn't count, and then the faith that does count. Like, there, yeah, there can be a faith in an outward call. There can be a faith, you know, if I believe, you know, um, go to John 2 just for a moment, uh, right at the end of John. Now, here's some people that are having faith in Christ. I mean, they, they followed him around. He's doing uh, all sorts of miracles. Verse 23, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name. Okay, and believe and faith is the same thing. Okay. Observing his signs, which he is doing. So they're seeing this. They're believing, you know, they're believing in his name and his power, everything... You know, they're believing in a sense, hey, he could even come from heaven. You know, this, you know, he's doing some amazing, miraculous, supernatural things. They're, they're seeing this, observing his signs. They can't help but hang around him. They want to go everywhere he, that he goes. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. A lot of those people, he knew that there really, there was the outward kind of faith or a faith that they intellectually had, but there was the inward faith that they did not have. That's the faith that comes from, um, from, uh, from God. That's the faith that now uh, we can understand some things of God, like in Second Corinthians uh, chapter two, um, these people were all outward for the outward things that was happening, 
but yet there is that, uh, of course, the inward call. It, it all goes with that, that so calling. <clears throat> I guess it feels like it, it feels like what's being said, and do correct me if I'm wrong, it feels like what's being said is faith is not the progenitor of salvation. Right. And look, look at Ephesians too. You're, you're right, and that sounds very contradictory. It almost sounds like we're cultish now, all of a sudden. Well, I'm not saying you know. that. No, I know that. Yeah. But but somebody that doesn't know where we're at, if they took us out of context, because that's the the cry of the Reformation. The, the Reformation says, justified by faith alone. But we're not. But it's it's Christ's work, the faith that He grants us. That's going to make a difference. But in Ephesians, where was I going there? Did I give you the chapter and verse? Oh, okay, yeah. Verse 8. Let, let's read it real slowly. For by grace you have been saved through faith. What are we saved by? Grace, right? That not of yourselves it is a gift to God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it's, we know it's not coming from anything of ourselves, but you have been saved, and there it is through faith. There is the lifeline. There is the connector that God has given us uh, through the person of Christ. And you have to have faith to believe in Him. Of course, you look at Hebrews chapter 11, or Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham had faith in God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. That, that, was, my, that was my next question. Faith and I feel like I feel like you parted faith from justification. It, and it is, it is part of it. But it no, I mean starts... Parted, oh, like, okay. uh, separated faith from justification. Sorry. Um, but clearly, like Abraham, it was righteousness was accounted to him because of faith. Because he trusted. Right, and, and of course, what is the key word always? By grace, and so, and then we see, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That not yourself. It is the gift of God. Now, this can be taken in two ways. Uh, the way that I like to see this is that faith is the gift of God. Amen. Now, does that help answer that? If that phrase there were saved by grace, it's by the instrument of faith that He gives us, and it's a gift. Well, it's like grace is the attitude and the power of God, and then faith is the actual action. Right. Like and what He did... Right. How can we re, how can we respond now to this invitation that's given? Well, we we do it now by believing Him, trusting Him, and Ephesians right here says it is it's a gift of God. It's been granted to us, and then repentance is too. So if since if my mind if I'm right in thinking this uh, is if I were to say that God's gift of faith to men or to us is itself encompasses everything therein uh, when it comes to uh, justification 
a sanctification, glorification, would that be all right? Because it feels like faith is the very object that God's given mm-hmm. more so than maybe grace. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> uh, because the key word is that God gave it. Right. That's 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 the that's where worship comes in. That's why we worship him for. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to understand faith itself is salvation in a way. Yeah, because there's no way that we can understand who God is unless he he gives us this faith. It's from him. It's not an intellectual faith. Right. The people yeah, saw the miracles or, yeah. and they That's wanted to true. they wanted to follow him, but they were doing it because of a, an outward uh, the appearance. They saw all the cool things that was going on. Uh, this man is something else. They could even identify him as God. That's why there can be people who go to church all the time, never be converted. They have a faith their faith, though, is not the faith that has been granted for salvation. They can believe intellectually. And we are called to tell people to believe in God, aren't we? Trust in Him. Trust in the sacrifice that Christ has done. We, we give Him that call. Repent. Uh, God is calling every man to repent. And it's, it is just as important, too. But but faith is trusting God in, in salvation and then from the rest of our uh, spiritual walks. Uh, it is very key. We, we don't take anything uh, away from it. But we're not saved simply because of our faith. I know it's very difficult, but it, uh, the way that somebody has... Uh, giving me a, a lifeline, a, a channel, an instrument to us so that now we are united with Him. Uh, faith is bringing us in union with Christ. Now we can trust Him. Now we can believe Him. It's a difficult concept. And especially when, when you keep people. hearing that we are to have faith. But... But there it goes back to what we were we started with tonight where it's the effectual call of God that faith is going to then come along with everything else, the ordo salutis and such. And so it's all together. I mean, faith is a, a, a key ingredient. If we don't believe it, then how can we be saved, right? That's that point in time where he grants that. So all of a sudden the light uh, comes on. Difficult. Um, what time is it? It's 7.06. Oh, my. <laughs> We're just about at the end of our time, aren't we? Um, the, the second one is dealing with um, faith alone. It's always accompanied by works. Um, it will have works. Faith thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness is the alone instrument of justification. And there, they use the word instrument. Did you see that yeah. one there? It's the instrument uh, that God uses for us to be justified, if that helps there. Yet it is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces and is no dead faith, but works by love. 
uh, don't have a lot of time, but if you go to James, James 2 says, uh, you believe in God, show me your works, right? If you really have faith, you are going to have works. And I think on your outline, under justification, under B there, um, where it talks about that alone. Do you have that, Nando, yes, or you want to yeah. read that? Justification is by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. Has anybody ever heard that one before? And so it, the works are always there, it's, but it's not for salvation. It's what accompanies salvation. Whereas the Catholic would say it is for salvation. That's a major difference. Faith uh, is the alone instrument. And you just read James what? Uh, James 2, I think it starts around verse 13 and, and there on. Uh, he's very, matter of fact, the whole book kind of deals with that, that thought. Um, uh, it's, uh, faith is the instrument. Uh, but it's definitely not alone. The person who is justified will have works to go with it. Uh, definitely James 2, 17 through 26. Uh, of course, there are many other passages. Uh, another one here. I'm really breezing by this quick. Christ, by His obedience and death, did fully discharge the debt of all those that are thus justified. He did make a proper, real, and full satisfaction to his Father's justice in their behalf. Yet inasmuch as he was given by the Father for them and his obedience and satisfaction accepted in their stead, and both freely, not for anything in them, their justification is only a free grace, that both the exact justice and rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. That means there's fully a satisfaction in Christ. It's Christ's merit and Christ's grace. It's Christ's works, His obedience, and His. Uh, we see grace there. We're, we're justified only of free grace. I think the cross is the place that puts on display where we can see justice and grace in its most highest, complete way that we can possibly see. Look at the cross and you'll see the justice of God. His demands are met and He's satisfied. And we see the grace and how all that is applied to us. Um, paid for in full, but yet it's free. It wasn't free to Christ. It's not paid by me. <laughs> Nothing in my hands I bring. Jesus paid it all. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. How often do we go back there? <laughs> Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. Says it. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. 
By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, by his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Perfect righteousness, right? So we see his obedience whether it be active, passive, we see the grace. Here's the, the Lord was pleased, this is the Father here, to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days as a resurrection, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. That is um, quite the story there, written... 700 years before Christ. And the fourth one, it's talking about the decree uh, of God and uh, or His justification is concerned. It's, it's eternal. God did from all eternity decree to justify all the elect. That means before there was ever man there, He had already planned this out. It was His decree, His, His purpose. It will happen, and He will justify. While He elected them, He not only elected them, but His purpose is to justify them. Of course, that means taking away the sins. Christ did in the fullness of time, and, and catch this, in the fullness of time, time, space, matter, die for their sins before eternity and then there was the time when he was at the cross and rise again for their justification. Nevertheless, they are not justified until the Holy Spirit does in due time actually apply Christ unto them. So even though we were elect before the foundations of the world, we were not justified until there was application, Holy Spirit applied. Uh, so it was eternal in that decree, but justification never happens until what? There's the application. You're not justified until you come to the cross. So people, there are people who are elect who are not saved yet, who are not justified yet. Uh, there are three moments uh, someone has written. Easy to figure out. God's decree from eternity past. Then the cross, which is an... It says fullness of time in due time. Uh, there's the work that's done. And then in our particular time, it's where it's applied to our lives. God working that out. Titus 3, 4 through 7. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. There's the application. As He gives us His righteousness as He washes us. There's the regeneration. There's the renewing. Whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by His grace. There we go. Justified by His grace. We would be made heirs 
of course, we get into adoption next time. According to the hope of eternal life. Did that, did that really ring a bell? Did that click yeah. right there? We're justified by grace. Ephesians 2.8 says that we're justified by grace. But what, where it comes into fruition is whenever now we place our faith in Him, that He's just given us not only a possibility, but the reality that happens. Salvation is a work of God, isn't it? Any Christian would say that. If you read Titus here, I think it explains it there. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Everybody knows that. It's eternal. We'll just kind of read this next. God does continue to forgive the sin of those that are justified. Continues to do it. He forgives us at the moment of salvation. And although they can never fall from the state of justification, they're justified forever. Yet they may, by their sins, fall under God's fatherly displeasure. Hebrews, what? Chapter 12. We can't fall out of His justification, but we can be disciplined. And not have the light of His countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves. Here's confession, repentance. Confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. That's the walk, isn't it? So there it clearly says in one sentence... We as Christians who have been forgiven our sins must continue to confess our sins. Number six, the justification of believers under the Old Testament was in all these respects one and the same with the justification of believers under the New Testament. How are people saved in the Old Testament? The same way we are. Justified in the Old Testament is the same. And, of course, you could look at Galatians 3.9, look in Romans chapter 4. You have the example of Abraham or you have the example of David. Uh, Romans is a great place to go when you talk about justification. I felt like I've uh, done us disfavor by not turning enough to Romans tonight. I'm sorry. Uh, we kind of flew through these, but these are... There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Barb. You saved me. Anyway... Um, these are things that we've dealt with so many times down through the years and looked at Scripture. Well, we're just kind of looking at some comments by uh, historically through the church. They believe the same thing we do. Or we believe the same thing they did. They believe the same thing that Augustine did. And Augustine believed the same thing that Paul did. Paul believed the same thing that Jesus did. Jesus believed the same things that were written in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, of course, He is the Word, isn't He? <laughs> Timothy had been brought up under the same faith that Paul gave him. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't change, does it? We have that same faith. Same truth. Thank you guys for hanging with it there. Um, Difficult, profound, but yet simple, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these precious truths to us and May we always hold dearly to them because it is the very person and the work of Christ that this is all about. It is about Christ Himself. Thank you so much for the gift of faith so that we can believe these things and know who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you.
keep you and make his face shine upon you. Till next time.